This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golliver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, like two weeks ago, you and I came on here demanding trades. It was very quiet, eerily quiet. We had all sorts of names we wanted to see moved. And guess what, Michael? A lot of those names actually moved on Thursday before the 3 p.m. Eastern trade deadline. I got to say, for the first time ever, all the blog boys can celebrate because the Orlando Magic are actually newsworthy, and I think that we have to start with them. We saw Orlando unload three starters, Nikola Vucevic to the Chicago Bulls, Aaron Gordon to the Denver Nuggets, and Evan Fournier to your beloved Boston Celtics. I kind of felt like they were almost the power broker here. They were the ones having a garage sale. I think some of our talk recently, Michael, about teams that were still in the play-in mix, not necessarily becoming sellers, did prove true. Most of the major deals we saw were from teams kind of already eliminated, whether it was Orlando uh, or Houston sending out Victor Oladipo. And so that really set things up for Orlando to kind of be, uh, you know, like I said, the garage sale team. Let's start with the Vucevic move because I believe he was the best player traded Uh, I believe he was the only 2021 All-Star traded on Thursday. Who won and who lost that deal, Michael? Orlando sends out their nine-year franchise center to Chicago, gets back Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter, and two first-round picks. And they also, by the way, sent out Al Farouk Aminu in that deal to Chicago as well. Who won, who lost? Well... 
I mean, you're burying the lead here, which is in my uh, trade deadline primer over at SI.com. I called this exact transaction down to the draft picks. And so... Um, so just, it, I'm, it I'm, sounds I'm expecting like a round of applause. Yeah, basically. no, it sounded like your back maybe needed some padding. Was that what was happening right there? Um, <laughs> exactly are you right. angling for my Oracle of Oregon take, or or what are you uh, what are you trying to get across here, Michael? I don't know. I, I'm I'm wrong nine times out of ten. So when I get something right, I just I got to stand and and take a bow. So um, I take it then that you're the winner of this trade, but also you probably think maybe both sides won if you constructed this entire package and it came out. Like otherwise, you just screwed over one team, right? So everybody's winners. <laughs> is, that, is that what's happening here, Michael? Yeah, no, I do think that this was a really fair trade for both both sides. Um, I guess I'll start just with Chicago. And the reason why I thought it was a good destination for Vooch is I was looking around for teams that you know need a center, um, that are trying to win right now, trying to make the playoffs, and uh, you know send Vooch there, and he's really complimentary with Zach Levine. He'll make Zach's life a lot easier. Uh, you know, it's hard to say that Zach Levine could get any more efficient, but playing with a big who is shooting um, over forty percent from behind the three-point line on a robust uh, number of attempts per game, uh, that'll help you. That'll help someone like. Zach Levine quite a bit. So in trying to concoct my own fake trade that eventually became a real trade, I was looking around and seeing if there were any young bigs who would also could also be um, a little bit uh, uh, fluid on the market. And Wendell Carter just made a lot of sense to me because I think he's really talented. He's only 21 years old, but it just hasn't worked out for him in Chicago. You know, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, last year, the head coach situation just did not vibe with him at all and how they wanted him to play, particularly defending pick and rolls, you know, coming up to touch, being super aggressive. Uh, it's been it's been an, a roller coaster ride, I would say, for Wendell Carter and his confidence level um, in Chicago. So I think that Orlando gets a really interesting piece there um, to, I don't know, if you want to say replace Vooch, that's probably too strong, but they would need a big coming back and they got one who was really good. Um, and getting those two first round picks, which, I mean, that was the number one thing that kind of gave me pause that a deal like this would actually happen. I did not expect Chicago to give away two firsts. Like that's a lot. And also taking on Vucevic's contract, which just completely obliterates a, a, a humongous chunk of their cap space this summer, um, which is important because uh, they have a pretty good market size and um, there's a lot of different things you can do with that type of flexibility. So they're kind of really making a significant bet on Levine and the season that he has had because you don't give up two first round picks if you believe that you're not interested in re-signing Levine when he's a free agent the fall, uh, two summers from now. So I thought it was just a, fan, uh, a really fascinating move in the short and the long term by Chicago. And I mean, you said it at the top with Orlando. This is what everyone has been waiting for, for it feels like a million years. Uh, we've been waiting for the new regime in the, in the Magic front office to rebuild to start over to get off the treadmill of mediocrity this is the deal that did it 
Um, and it's good to see. Yeah, I think if you look at our Arturis in Chicago, this is his first big move, right? He comes over from Denver where they're built around a very skilled European center. And his first move is to trade draft picks and, you know, a young prospect that hasn't worked out for a skilled European center. I think it's very, very fascinating. The fact that they're both named Nikola just takes it to the next level. Um, now, in terms of kind of their longer term play, I think it was the right idea to cut out on Wendell Carter. Um, he has looked overwhelmed a lot to me. I really liked him as a prospect kind of coming into the draft, but the injury issues have absolutely been an issue. Hasn't really found an offensive role. Not sure he's ever really going to develop into kind of that stretch five that could really make him super useful. And I'm just wondering what is his ceiling, right? I mean, is he going to wind up being a guy who's just kind of a solid backup but not a full-time starter? Um, If he can't stay healthy, who knows? I do feel bad for Orlando's training staff. I mean, Markel Fultz, Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba, and Jonathan Isaac. If you could turn injuries off, that team sounds pretty awesome for the next three or four years and really, really intriguing. Unfortunately, you know, life isn't a video game, and that could wind up being a really busy couple years for Orlando's training staff and a really couple frustrating years for Orlando's fan base. The draft picks are interesting. I mean, Chicago could potentially move into the playoff picture, in which case those draft picks might both be outside of the lottery, which would be a little bit frustrating. But Orlando does get significantly worse in the short term. So they're sort of angling potentially to have the worst record in the league this year. So if they come out of this with the number one pick, they deserve to be saluted kind of even more than they already were. I think when you're adding up all the picks that they got for the three starters they sent out, it's a good package. It's not an absolutely amazing package. I probably think that they could have gotten more had they pulled the plug earlier, but I do think that it was past time to do this. And so I kind of, you know, tip my hat to them for for getting it done. Hanging on to Vucevic and having him just kind of stumble around the court for another season with no real end game didn't make sense for them. It didn't make sense for him either. And the fit there in Chicago is pretty interesting, right? Like you put him together with Zach Levine. There's lots of pick and pop uh, spacing opportunities. They're going to be high powered. I think a, a big question a lot of people had immediately after the trade was, well, what's going on with this front court with Lowry Markinen and Nikola Vucevic? Those guys aren't going to be able to guard anybody. True. But then they go out and grab Daniel Tice from the Boston Celtics, who are trying to cut corners and slash their luxury tax bill and all that <laughs> stuff, Michael. Now they got a pretty nice compliment uh, their offense defense between uh, Vucevic and Tice, right? I mean that's a pretty that's a pretty solid setup there in the middle. So I think on balance it's a big upgrade inside for the Bulls. I don't know if I think that they have any shot whatsoever to win a first round series. Actually, I take that back. I do know that they have no shot whatsoever to win a first round playoff series. But they are more threatening than they were yesterday, and I think it was worth doing it. At the cost of two future first-round picks that are probably going to be outside the lottery, I think that's okay. So I'm just being um, a smart aleck here, but if Chicago somehow gets—I mean, I'm just looking at the standings, and they're so ridiculously bunched up. If Chicago were to face the Charlotte Hornets in a four-five, you don't—you don't give the Bulls um, any chance there. You think the Charlotte Hornets are going to be in the 4-5, Michael? Come on now. (laughs) I'm just having fun. Um, You know, you bring up a really good point with uh, uh, Lowry Markkinen, who coming into uh, today was one of the number one players 
on my personal big board of like pieces that needed to be moved because reportedly um, those sides, Lowry's representation and the Chicago Bulls front office were uh, upwards of $15 million apart on a long-term contract. So when they were negotiating before the season started with the extension talks. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I don't know if they've, if the Chicago Bulls have had a change of heart and how they view Lowry Markkinen, uh, based on how he's played this season, he's shot the ball extremely well. Um, uh, he's been hyper efficient, uh, finishing at the rim at a career rate, shooting threes extremely well, but at like, you know, he's what he brings to the table is not that valuable in terms i mean that's like i just described everything that he does so you know he doesn't really rebound he's not a really good passer he doesn't make plays he's not a good defender the bulls have been terrible on both ends when he's on the floor this season uh so like i i think it's really fascinating just where he how he fits into all this because you have patrick williams who is another player I think you're, you're making a pretty big bet on Patrick Williams taking steps forward next season and then the season after that as kind of a third piece with Levine um, and Vucevic. Uh, so I don't know what where Lowry fits in, and it'll be fascinating to see. Maybe they can sign and trade him. That gets a little bit complicated in the offseason, or they, they're potentially going to lose him for nothing, or maybe they'll just re-sign him if the market is not there and there's no potential suitor that's willing to throw a splashy offer sheet at him. Um, so yeah, I think those, that his situation is fascinating. Those guys are tough to trade. You know, we saw Lowry, John Collins, and Lonzo Ball all be in a lot of rumors. And it's one of those situations where their incumbent teams, even if they don't necessarily view those guys as long-term keeper pieces, are going to want a really good return for them. They're not just going to want to give them away because they do hold the restricted free agency rights. So there's always something that can happen down the road. So unless somebody blows you away with an offer at the deadline, you might as well just roll it over, see what kind of offers come in, see if you can do the sign and trade, see if you can do the match. If, you know, for whatever reason, they don't get a big number and then you can just kind of keep them. Right. So um, I'm with you. I did kind of think Lowry would be a potential trade ship. Ultimately, I guess they they probably found that Carter uh, had more value than Lowry um, in that package with Orlando. That's not particularly surprising. Despite Carter's injury history, he just seems like an easier player to fit. He does seem like a more stable piece. I'm pretty much out on Lowry. Um, You know, I do think that in Mm. certain situations, if he was like just a stretch four and you had multiple defenders around him, you could probably kind of get by with it. Um, I just that's not really the scenario they've got going in Chicago. So at some point, I would expect him to move. But I'm curious about this big board that you mentioned, Michael, is this a real board? I mean, does your does your wife allow you to kind of decorate your living room with an actual like big board? You know, do you have the, the white marker out there? Or is this a figurative big board? I mean, to answer your specific question, does my wife allow me to decorate the living room? The answer is no. That's just a, there's no I have no I have no input whatsoever on what gets hung on the walls, um, how the plants are arranged. Well, uh, you you just said it very authoritatively, like you had a big board. And I'm picturing Lowry. Like he has a little <laughs> nameplate, like number seventeen, on your big board, and maybe it's like right next to your wife's beautiful art. You know, in between the couch and the television or something. Like you were painting this beautiful picture for me. Is that not the case? 
that's not the case, but now I, I want it to be the case now that you're you're talking about it out loud and I'm visualizing it. So you've just created a future rift in my marriage. Congratulations. Well, I brought this up because do you remember years and years ago when the Orlando Magic had Aaron Gordon's name on their big board as a possible yes. player they were going to trade? <laughs> this was like five or six years ago. A picture of that big board got put on the internet, I believe, by an agent all the fans were like, what the heck? Why are we about to trade Aaron Gordon? And they had to delete the picture. This was this huge fiasco, right? And by the way, when I toured the Blazers practice facility years and years ago, Rich Cho actually had this huge big board covering his entire office wall with every player's salary. It was pretty wild. And he was inviting fans in there for sort of a you know an activity day, basically. And... Um, he started realizing people were about to take pictures of his wall and it was like, everybody get caught. We got to clear out. We can't have this happening. So he narrowly avoided that same drama that uh, befell Orlando. But after all these years, Michael, Aaron Gordon finally gets traded by the magic. Somehow he is still only 25 years old. You and I argued last week or earlier this week, rather about whether or not he's actually good, but he moves to the Denver nuggets for Gary Harris Point guard R.J. Hampton, who's a rookie, and a protected 2025 first-round pick. That feels a little light to me in terms of what I thought Aaron Gordon would go for, but I really do like the fit there in Denver. What do you think? So first of all, I, I missed that it was a protected pick in 2025. That is, uh, you know, there's so much swirling around in trade deadline day. That specific detail missed me. Um yeah, that is very well. When you when you don't get the pick immediately and it's kind of protected, that's when they slide that detail out, right? You just sort of kind of like let that one go. It's almost like the car warranty agreement when you're buying a car, right? They like save all the fine print for the very end, and then they're like, oh yeah, by the way, X Y Z. Um, when you get that 2021 first, you got to announce it with your chest early on in the rumor cycle. No, you're exactly exactly right. Um, I mean, I guess. For Denver, I I, I I love this trade. Um, Wait, let me more. ask you. Let me see how much you love it. Are okay. you happier for Aaron Gordon that he landed with the Nuggets than with your Celtics? Because I know you and the Celtics, they wanted a Harrison mm. Barnes type. They wanted an Aaron Gordon type. There was some talk this week. Celtics are the leader for Aaron Gordon. Not quite. I know probably finished second or third in that race. That's okay, Boston. Um, are you happier for the Nuggets than the Celtics? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, <laughs> I am happy that Aaron Gordon is happy, and I think he is happy because he gets to play basketball with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and contend for a championship. That is incredible, and the number one reason why, you know, the the crux of our whole discussion about Aaron Gordon and whether or not he had legitimate value uh, in the NBA after being so frustrating for so long is, you know, what his role would be. And like, this is an ideal situation for him where there is really no need to run high pick and roll. There's no need to take contested pull-up twos or even open pull-up threes, which no, he doesn't need to dribble. He doesn't even need to dribble in Denver. He's going to be fine. Just keep moving, you know, keep cutting. You're going to be great. No, that's 100% right. And this is not like, you know, this isn't an indictment on his ability at all. It's more just what he can be 
like not everyone isn't supposed to be everything in the NBA. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And for Aaron Gordon, you know, his role in Denver is critical suddenly, particularly on the defensive end where they really needed someone to replace Jeremy Grant. Um, And I think Aaron Gordon is a better defender than Jeremy Grant. He's stronger, he's thicker, and he's he's better in matchups against the Kawhi Leonards, the Paul Georges, the LeBron Jameses of the world, where when those guys go to the post in the fourth quarter of a playoff game, and they force double teams and you get kickouts for wide open threes. That's when that's what makes those players so special. And if you have Aaron Gordon, who, you know, we don't need to double off the three point line with this guy, he's going to make those superstars work. And he's not just going to send them to the free throw line or let them get wide open layups on every possession. I, I think that that is where his value will really shine. And so, um, Denver, I mean, Gary Harris, it stinks that his career has kind of gone in the direction that it has. RJ Hampton might be a really good player someday. He's super athletic and, and intriguing, but it feels like they didn't really give up anything and they're just adding like this this like physical marvel who's only 25 years old and on the same timeline as their two best players like it's a great trade for them i mean that's another one uh michael i was saying all these guys that orlando staff is going to have to deal with i mean gary harris get him his own table in the uh in the injury room i mean that's that's a whole nother one i I mean i don't get it from orlando's side it felt like they should have been able to get more for aaron gordon i do think it's an indicator that there weren't as many buyers as we expected um, because they did have to take back Harris's contract, which I believe he's under contract for next year as well. And you don't necessarily love that. I don't know if he's going to be a long-term piece. Maybe they're thinking, hey, we can rehabilitate his value. If he gets healthy, we can try to flip him down the road uh, <clears throat> for additional assets. I mean, that would be sort of a best case scenario for Orlando. But I do like a lot of what you're selling here with Aaron Gordon and Denver. Michael, are you familiar with these magic leggings from Amazon? I am not. Tell me more. Uh, Well, I mean, I've only seen this mentioned on Twitter, but apparently there are sort of these like almost optical illusion like leggings, which make a lot of people who buy them feel more comfortable with how they look with, you know, they feel like they're more. um, I don't know how to put this kindly. Confident? Uh, Yeah, it's yeah, I guess appealing. It would also be the word, right? They feel like they're they're more attractive when they wear these magic leggings than they would be in a typical year because of how they accentuate certain curves. Sure. Jokic has the same effect on everybody around him, okay? He is the magic <laughs> leggings. You are going to look like your best self. You're going to be absolutely your most appealing self when you're in his presence. It's a LeBron-like halo effect. And so for for somebody like Aaron Gordon, where I do think it's a legitimate debate, is this guy even good or not? We we haven't really gotten that answer in large part because as you just described, he was asked to do a heck of a lot of things that he shouldn't have been asked to do. And by the way, I never really got the indication from watching him play that he necessarily wanted to do all those things. Like, I don't think he's some like ball dominant wing who just always wants to go out there and be a scorer. Like, I think he was put in some really tough spots there in Orlando and he seems like a really nice kid. So I think it's going to be a nice fit for them offensively. He's going to be able to do what they ask him to do and not a lot else, which is great. And then it's all going to come down to the defense. Like you mentioned, I might not be as high on his defensive ceiling as you're portraying, but I do think you're making a strong point from a physicality standpoint, 
Um, he's definitely, you know, a thicker option uh, than a Jeremy Grant. And you compare him to any of their other options in that spot right now, and he's significantly better. And so it's a clear upgrade from Denver's perspective. And it's coming at a very, very reasonable cost. I would consider them big winners in this deadline. Let's move to the third Magic player who was traded. Um, the best. Th- well, I, I wouldn't say that, Michael. I mean, Evan Fournier to the Boston Celtics, it feels kind of perfect. I mean, the Celtics always taking the bronze medal when it comes to the conference finals and all that, right? And here they are getting the bronze medal among the Orlando Magic players traded. Um, the good news for them is they basically send out Jeff Teague and two uh, second round picks for Fournier's expiring contract. They get a rental down the stretch and the possibility of re-signing him this summer. They clearly need an offensive scoring boost after losing Gordon Hayward. He's not going to replicate everything Hayward does, but he can get you a bucket and he can help carry the offense when one of the two star wings is off the court, um, you know, kind of pairing with, with the other one. And so that's a nice connective piece to have. You're not locked in for some crazy long-term deal if the fit doesn't work, which is always nice from a flexibility standpoint. And this is pretty much a textbook way to use the trade exception Michael, it did cost them Daniel Tice, and here's how I want to frame it. I actually like Daniel Tice a lot. I think he has been a pretty underrated piece for Boston. When they've been at their best, he's played really important minutes for them. Would you rather have Tice or Fournier long-term if you're the Celtics and you're intent on winning a title, right? Because Fournier is pretty much a one-way player. I don't really think he's bringing much of a defensive impact on the other end. He is a pure bucket getter. Um, and maybe this is a move that helps set up future moves, whether it's trading a Marcus Smart or a Kemba Walker down the road. But Tice is no small subtraction for this Boston Celtics group. I understand Rob Williams is kind of waiting in the wings for more minutes, mm-hmm. and he's he's been really good this year. I almost might rather have Tice than Fournier, especially if Fournier is just a rental. Am I crazy? I mean, it's it's kind of tricky to compare those two players for a variety of of reasons um i you know tice has been super valuable to the celtics he's also not robert williams in terms of what robert williams can theoretically be and give you on both ends athletically in a playoff series so letting robert williams breathe a little bit and not look over his shoulder every time he makes a mistake i think is good especially this season where like look the celtics aren't going to win the championship so like what is daniel house's value value to you especially if you're trying to get under the tax which is why they made the move um but i guess like you know when i look at evan fournier on the celtics i i see a fascinating ripple effect here like this is exactly the type of player not like he's not a two-way um phenom or anything like that but what they needed was just someone who was sturdy and reliable with the ball in their hands who can shoot threes who can make plays who can run who can come off a a, a dribble handoff and make something happen um, you know, he's shooting over 40% from the three-point line. He's making over half his floaters this season. His assist rate is a career at a career high level. He's never been more efficient. I mean, this guy's in his prime. And the Celtics, like, Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford coming into the season, that's like they were going to need a lot from those guys. They were going to need a lot from Shemi Ojale. 
And so hey, there's Michael, a ripple of- Do you remember when I told you at the start of the season that none of those guys could play? And then Brad Stevens last week came out and basically said none of those guys can play. That felt great. <laughs> it's been it's been it's been a tough uh year for some of the role players in Boston for sure. And so if you're trying to just loosen some pressure off of Tatum, off of Jalen, and in particular, come playoff time off of Kemba Walker uh, and Marcus Smart, um, I think having a piece like Evan Fournier is just a really, uh, he's an important addition, I think. And he'll help everybody else out. But again, like, you're not, he's not, like, taking you to the championship. I don't think there was any expectation, there should be any expectation that that's the type of player he is. No, I'm with you. It does kind of feel like maybe they just got sick of watching this offense, right? Like, I mean, I'm sick of watching it. Like, we saw it again uh, yesterday in that game against Milwaukee. I mean, kind of a spunky comeback, but some of these stretches of offense are just tough to watch. I mean, Kemba driving into the paint, going absolutely nowhere and begging for calls every 30 seconds. That would make me trade half my roster, you know, just watching that over and over again. So I do like the idea of, okay, hey, um, you know, a multi-dimensional offensive player who is just going to give a real jolt and some of those long droughts or ball pounding sessions that some of the guards get into are maybe lessened by his addition. That's almost worth it, um, you know, on that alone. But I do really think they're going to miss Tice. I do like this idea, though, of betting on Rob Williams, right? Because he's been really good. They've had lineup issues in terms of trying to fit everybody, you know, into their front court and, and finding minutes for them all season. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think you would have preferred to dump Thompson if you could, but that was probably mm-hmm. too difficult to do. And, I mean, even Brad said it, like three of their six best players this year have been centers, and that's just not ever going to work, right? So something had to give. Unfortunately, it was Tice. Um, I don't know if they're better or worse for the playoffs, to be honest. I mean, Fournier has not been a playoff player. Typically, his numbers come back to earth in the postseason. He doesn't really guard anyone. And Tice was a pretty important piece, like I mentioned. Um, so we'll see kind of how it shakes out. But they're another team I expect to go out in round one. Um, and so maybe it wasn't about just this year. Maybe it's about more of a, a longer term roster rebalancing. So, um, you know, I, I don't hate it from Boston's standpoint, but I also am not like fully embracing it. Uh, I think it's, you know, that that heist loss kind of balances the excitement around the uh, around the Fournier gain uh, from my standpoint. Mm. Can I give you a big loser, Michael? Yes, you can. Houston Rockets, bro. I mean, look, I I don't want to pile on because I know that that's been a team close to your heart for years and years and years. But when they traded for Oladipo, I was kind of saying, hey, this seems like a face-saving maneuver. You bring him back in the deal so you can tell your fan base you got an all-star for James Harden. You hope it works out. If you can flip him for something great uh, because he plays well and really cash out and set yourself up longer term, um, you know, with that secondary move, then fantastic. If he, you know, if he fits in well and you're doing this wow thing with uh, Wall, Oladipo, and uh, Christian Wood, then that's the Jesus. absolute best case scenario, right? <laughs> but wow, the wow era lasted about five games, Michael. And you look what they get back for Oladipo. Avery Bradley, basically an expiring contract. Kelly Olynyk, an expiring contract. And a 2022 first-round pick swap, which the picks are not going to swap because no one's going to be worse than Houston besides maybe Orlando in 2022. What did they get back for Victor Oladipo? This is the best that they could do. 
They're telling us all week long in these rumors, oh, we've got a young player and a first-round pick option. You had nothing, Houston. Well, man, I don't disagree with any of this. Two Celtic icons, Kelly Olenek and Avery Bradley, just tough. It's tough for them. Two guys Um, who are definitely better in the playoffs than Fournier is going to be, by the way. (laughs) What an unnecessary shot. (laughs) I know. I'm just Um, messing with you. Sorry. But I, uh, when I look at Houston, okay, so like here's the deal: you trade James Harden, uh, arguably the best, one of the best offensive players in the history of the sport, right? And the best player you get back, I understand there's draft picks, and we can't judge it until we see what the draft picks are, whatever. The best player you get back at the end of the day is Kelly Olynyk. Like, wh- like let that sink in. It's it's it's. Ridiculous. I, I don't even know. It's I, it's like frazzling my brain just even like the other deal on the table there was Ben Simmons. You could have had Ben, ben Simmons. Hey, like Michael, l- let me ask you, where was Kelly Olynyk on your big board? He didn't even make he wasn't even there. He was on the floor like that's <laughs> that's where he was. I didn't even have him up there. So yeah, he, he was on a hard drive that you erased three weeks ago. <laughs> uh, not great. Not great at all. It's it's absolutely wild. It's one of those situations where. Would they have been better off just not doing this deal, waiting a couple weeks and buying him out just so that they didn't have to take the heat for this? Like, this is one where I wouldn't even want to have to answer for it. Like, how do they spin this? Like, Kelly Olynyk, a starting quality player. We need a stretch four next to Wood. I mean, like, unless no, you're I mean, trying to actually keep Kelly Olynyk, which I don't really know why that would be a priority, you got nothing in this move. It's truly mind-boggling, and it goes back to wanting Victor Oladipo instead of Karis LeVert. Like, at the end of the day, if your goal at this whole— I know that they they, they offered the two-year, $45 million extension to Oladipo, but that was, just, that, that, that was just for optics. Like, let's be honest. No one expected Oladipo to take that contract. Did they really um, offer it, or do you think they just told us they did so they wouldn't the be accused release. of, of uh, cost-cutting and, and cheapness? Because now what this winds up looking like, it's all about the finances, right? That was this entire cycle of moves is just to get off as much money as possible and to avoid paying everyone. They're stuck with that John Wall contract because they were stuck with the Westbrook contract. But otherwise, it's just been a complete slash and burn from Houston. It's... I mean, it's terrible, honestly. I don't I, like. Look, they could get Cade Cunningham in this year's draft. They could get uh, our boy Evan Mobley, who's looked really good in the NCAA tournament. I know we had a conversation about him. Uh, so we'll see what happens with the picks that they have from Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. What a perfect front court: Wood, Mobley, and Olenek. Big three. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you're right. It, it is. It's tough. Like especially when you go from years of title contention with a a, uh, perennial MVP candidate who probably should have won the award multiple times when he was in his prime on your team to what you are now losing 20 games in a row with really no light at the end of the tunnel. It is, it is bleak in Houston. And I, I just can't get over like how they handled the Oladipo situation. Like I, I, this is I understand why he was difficult to trade but like if this is what you get back then just keep him like (laughs) I I, I honestly don't get it I really don't yeah I don't know man it's it's pretty wild I was um, 
you know, seeking a moratorium on Steven Silas' sympathy on Twitter, I just thought it was getting out of control. I mean, I understand it's a tough situation, but every 30 seconds we're, <laughs> we're seeing people express their regret and sympathy to Steven Silas. It's like, all right, let's just let's all just tone it down a notch. He is a professional head coach. He's been in the league for decades. He understands how this works. But after this trade, Michael, the moratorium is off. It's officially okay by me for everyone to express their sympathies to Steven Silas. What a trade. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey, let's shift gears here. Other than Denver, the only other sort of serious aspiring contender in the West to really make a move was the LA Clippers. And they wound up uh, getting Rajon Rondo from the Atlanta Hawks for Lou Williams and I believe two second round picks. Uh, Rondo is under contract for next year for $7.5 million. Lou Williams was on an expiring contract. Lou Williams was a guy I was pretty sure that they would be interested in trading just because his role has been cut this season. He's getting a little bit older. He's never been much of a playoff player. And it just, something needed to change in that backcourt. And they didn't have a lot else to kind of put out there in moves. 
Now, Rondo is always going to be a polarizing trade target. You know, the optimists are going to say, hey, he's been terrible this year, but don't worry about it. He's a playoff player. He will turn it on when you need it for six weeks. He will be there. You can count on him. (laughs) The pessimists will say, don't buy into playoff Rondo uh, because you do have to still pay him for next year's regular season. Uh, He's been injury ravaged this year uh, for Atlanta, didn't fit in whatsoever. And it always has kind of a difficult personality to work with. Um, Now he's back in L.A. where he won a title last year with the Lakers, but now kind of across the Staples Center hallway with the Clippers. I think that they have some personality and chemistry issues still. Now you're adding Rondo to that mix. What do you expect from Clipper Rondo? Well, first of all, I mean, apologize to your hometown team in Portland saying no team out the out west that can win the championship made a big move. Norm Powell, baby, to the Blazers. Come on. Um, well, we can get to that move later. Okay. Do you see them as aspiring contenders? Because you're really throwing me off with some of these playoff prognostications. I mean, first, is Charlotte <laughs> going to become the number four seed somehow? They're, and the, now, they're in the four seed right now. Yeah, okay, Michael. Well, we know that's not going to last, right? And then Portland, you say now, is a, a true title contender. You believe that? I, well, I mean, I think that... Uh, I mean, you know, we go over this all the time. My definition of a title contender is super broad. Oh, yeah. Um, You've got the play-in definition. You know, 20 teams. <laughs> bring, bring them all in. Uh, anyway, focus on the Clipper Rondo, please. Okay. okay. No, I, I, I... First of all, off the top, you know, I want to say... Um, I got to pat myself on the back again. I did tweet a month ago that Rondo for Lou Williams is the trade that just absolutely has to happen. It was obvious to me for a very long time. Um, reason being, you know, you outlined it. Like, Lou Williams is playing on a, a championship contending Los Angeles Clippers team as a player whose value lessens in the postseason. Rondo playing on a team that, you know, the Atlanta Hawks have been pretty good and they're going to make the playoffs, but they're not going to win the championship. They're not going to win a playoff series. His role at this point in his career is to impact um, and raise the ceiling of teams that are already extremely good. So putting him on the Clippers made a lot of sense to me. The Clippers are trying to win it all. And I am, you know, Rondo is like my favorite player of all time. So I come into this conversation with a little bit of bias, but... Anyone who watched the bubble knows that the Lakers would not have won the championship without that version of Rajon Rondo. And to believe that he can't recapture kind of what he was, um, you know, not even a year ago. I, I mean, like, why can't he? I don't I, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, what about so, his fit with Kawhi versus his fit with LeBron? Because that's ultimately what surprised me about his Lakers situation was how naturally LeBron kind of made it work with him, right? There was no tug of war for the basketball. Rondo stepped up in key moments as a facilitator, as an organizer when LeBron was off the court, but they played pretty effectively together as well. And, you know, Rondo's well-chronicled, you know, struggle shooting the basketball wound up not really being that big of a deal at all. You know, LeBron is creating such good looks for all of his teammates that, you know, Rondo could step in and, and fire wide open shots. And then as a secondary, you know, if LeBron's driving and kicking out to Rondo, defense is scrambling, Rondo can pump fake, drive and go, and now you're you're really getting into stuff, you know, breaking down defenses. That's not really the deal with Kawhi. I mean, he's not that same level playmaker. What do you think the fit's going to be like between Rondo and Kawhi? Do you think it's as good as the LeBron fit or worse? 
Um, I mean, what LeBron does to everyone around him is like unparalleled, and I don't want to compare anyone to it. Uh, so that's just like unfair to even Kawhi, who you know I, I speak reverently when his name comes up. But I do think that what Rondo can bring to this team is just a level of stoicism and inability to organize a half court offense and like just old school point guard knowledge when to slow down when to speed up who's got it going who needs the ball um what plays we need to run defensively he is a literal genius in calling out plays that has been said throughout his entire career um and he's obviously someone with championship experience who does not get nervous and does not back down um when situations are getting kind of hairy, which is exactly what happened to the Clippers last season. I mean, they just, they absolutely crumbled mentally. There's no doubt about that. So, like, I just like him from that perspective. And no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let me ask you this, though. Is there a worst case scenario where the Clippers chemistry stuff does resurface? Rondo is kind of expecting things to go a certain way because he's been there and done that. Some of these other guys who haven't been there and done that are maybe, you know, talking back. Is there some way this blows up, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, can't you see, like, Paul George and Rondo snipping at each other on the way off the court after they just blew a 20-point lead? I mean, isn't Mm -hmm. that visual also possible, or is that just too dire? Yeah, to quote the great Kevin Garnett, anything is possible, of course. Like, especially when you have such a volatile personality— Um, And such an emotional player is Rondo, who is just unafraid to say what he wants when he wants to whoever. Well, is that Um, the best part about this trade then? Like Coach Rondo showing up to whip the Clippers into postseason shape. Is that what we want from this? I mean, I think that that's a true, like a truly beneficial part of it. I do like and, you know, speaking about the chemistry stuff, Lou Will was... I believe is he was he the last man standing from the team that took that uh, the pre Kawhi PG version of the Clippers that took the Warriors to six. I believe he well, was, he's the Be- Be- Beverly's still there, so I think okay. Beverly is technically barely. the last man standing. But <laughs> barely. No, your your point is well taken because once Montrez Harrell left over the summer, and I think that caught some of those guys by surprise, right? Like Lou Williams's value just dips immediately because he doesn't have his pick and roll partner, right? That same. You know, type of player where they had a really, really nice connection for multiple seasons. So he was kind of like a dead man walking with that group. Yeah, 100%. And so you bring in Rondo, who, like, I think he'll be good for Luke Kennard. I think he'll be good for Terrence Mann. Um, I don't know necessarily that he'll be closing every playoff game, but I don't think he needs to. I think that he provides this, like, just this oomph. Like, I think about that stretch. Um, in the bubble against the Nuggets. I forget which game it was, but it was later on in the series where he just harassed Monte Morris and Jamal Murray on like four straight possessions and got like four straight steals, even though he probably was committing fouls on these uh, these possessions. Um, The chaos that he just infuses into a basketball game and like the knowledge and awareness of when to uh, just like go balls to the wall is... It's, it's really important, and a team like the Clippers really needs that. Like, we talk about Kawhi not having kind of that, like, fiery, um, 
leadership component in his in his makeup that's just like not who he is and it's one of the reasons why they brought Serge Ibaka in because he's that type of locker room presence like Rondo is also that type of locker room presence so I I, I just like it for the Clippers a lot and I, they had to make something happen they had to get a point guard a lot of people thought they would go after Ricky Rubio or someone like that I I love Rondo for this group I really do and it's going to be fascinating to see I mean and I'm just like, we need the Lakers-Clippers seven-game series. Like, that absolutely needs to happen now because throwing Rondo into the mix onto the Clippers side, it's just going to be amazing basketball. Yeah, well, the Lakers are going to have to fight through the playing round to get there, so we'll see how this goes. Um, but I do want to see that more than ever. I'm I'm with a lot of what you're saying on the personality side stuff. They're not going to go out the exact same way they did last year. There's no way. One other minor thing to mention on the Nuggets side of things, though, Michael, they did um, pick up JaVale McGee kind of as a replacement for Mason Plumley, uh, who went to Detroit, and they got Aaron Gordon to kind of replace Jeremy Grant. When you're looking at those two moves together, it does feel kind of like a money ball solution. You know, Denver, I've been pretty hard on them for their lack of uh, – you know, ability to really spend big to support Nikola Jokic here in the middle of his prime. It does feel like a lot of their moves are financially oriented. But when you're looking at the numbers that Detroit paid Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee versus the numbers that they're going to be able to have Gordon and McGee on coming in, that's probably a winning exchange for the Nuggets, isn't it? Do we have to kind of walk back some of the criticism that I was making specifically about, you know, letting Jeremy Grant go? I mean, does that look different now that they've made this move? Um, well, I mean, like the Nuggets offered Jeremy Grant the exact same amount of money, the same contract that the Pistons did. I hate and- that excuse, Michael, because you know what? Guess what? They could have well, offered more and kept him. No, 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 no. But, but Ben, if they paid more for Jeremy Grant, you'd kill them for paying Jeremy Grant that much money. You know you would. It's so, definitely possible, but at the same time, like <laughs> more help, more help the merrier. And if I, I just don't like that excuse of we offered him the same thing and he chose somebody else. I just think that's sort of like a, a loser's mentality. It's a participation trophy for NBA executives. Like, hey, we made the second best offer. It's the same thing Ainge always gets crushed for. I was so close. Oh, yeah, great. This isn't horseshoes or hand grenades. This is the NBA playoffs, all right? Get your teams ready to rock. Like, don't don't tell us about the near misses. Go out there and do something. And what I'm trying to say here is that Tim Connolly did a pretty nice salvage job to get, you know, similar tight players in terms of what mm-hmm. their impact is going to be like in a playoff situation. Like, if you need somebody to get completely lost on a crucial late-game situation like Mason Plumley. JaVale McGee is going to be able to do the exact same thing for you. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, he's going to give you similar quality minutes if you need him. And he's going to be able to, you know, finish uh, lob plays and that kind of thing, set some screens, get you some rebounds. Like he can give that to you. And then with Aaron Gordon, we've already talked about, you know, arguably from a fit standpoint is either a lateral move or even potentially a slight upgrade for what Denver needs in that spot. Doing that for a fraction of the cost for what Detroit paid the other two guys going out. I do think that's a win for the Nuggets front office. No, you're right. And to credit the Nuggets front office, like they the like the transaction to get RJ Hampton is really impressive. I mean, I, I think that it's overlooked because it wasn't a big part of the deal, but the, there was the four team trade that sent Drew Holiday to the Milwaukee Bucks, like one of those four teams 
um, was the Denver Nuggets, and they got in there and they got R.J. Hampton. So that's just like really good um, uh, asset allocation and like taking advantage of an opportunity that otherwise wouldn't be there, and then taking that asset and moving it on for a player like Gordon who can actually help you win a championship now, whereas R.J. Hampton obviously is not at that stage in his career. So I just want to shout out that front office real quick. Um, But like, you know, the Mason Plumley contract too is kind of like, who would you rather have JaVale at what they're going to pay JaVale or Mason Plumley on that deal? Like, that's just a no brainer to me. And, you know, we killed the Pistons deservedly so for all of the contracts that they dished out over the off season. So, um, I don't want to get too critical of Denver. I think Denver had a really good day today and like... Like, like, so like, how, like, how good was it? You know, let's put no, that in the standings. Like, if you're saying yeah. Lakers, Nuggets, Clippers, Nuggets, Jazz, Nuggets, do you take the Nuggets over any of those three? I, I want to like. I would not be stunned if the Nuggets went to the finals. Um, wow! Look at you bearing the lead again, well, hey. Michael. Well, hey, I mean, like. Jokic is going to win MVP, probably, right? So usually when a team has the probable MVP winner, they you shouldn't be like blown out of the water if they go to the NBA Finals. Like That's just kind of a rule that I'm sure you subscribe to. And if Jamal Murray looks anything like he did in the bubble, and Aaron Gordon fits in seamlessly, and... Uh, you know, we haven't even mentioned Michael Porter Jr. yet, who at the four has looked really good, and he's still not... Uh, super smooth on the defensive end, but he's made strides since we had that episode about him um, a couple months oh, back. Oh, you mean the episode where you wrote a 4,000-word piece <laughs> tearing him apart on defense and then he just magically turned around? Are you taking the credit for that one too, Michael? I think I, I have to, right? That's just, like, that's obvious. Um, um, two plus two equals four. Well, look at that front line, though. It could go great. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of length, a lot of size, and an awful lot of talent with Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., and Nikola Jokic, right? Is there some backfire potential there just because, you know, Gordon and Porter are probably both best as fours? Mm-hmm. Do you have enough switchability, I guess, with that group? Or are you going to get yourself into some matchup issues? Because I could see that working out just amazing for them. I could also see it being one of these situations where they're like, well, we kind of have to choose between playing Porter and Gordon because, you know, we we just can't keep them on the court at the same time. Do you see any of those concerns or no? No, I I definitely do. Um, I I mean, we haven't even mentioned Paul Millsap's name here, and he's still— Nor should we. Nor should we. (laughs) No, stop. No, Paul Millsap still uh, has—I think, you know, he still moves pretty well and uh, still has super fast hands, and um, the Nuggets are still a good basketball team when he's on the floor. So, I I mean, I'm like—I think it's just a really— interesting mix of guys like I I don't know like I think that having Aaron Gordon kind of be a little bit of an insurance to Michael Porter Jr. if it's just not clicking on the playoffs and he's just getting torched on defense and uh, you don't really have an option there um, in the type of lineup that you want to play you have Aaron Gordon and I think I'm. I guess I am much higher on Aaron Gordon's defensive potential than you are. I, I think he can be a true series-changing force in what he's able to provide um, in certain matchups. So I, I just I love it for 
I just love this the the day that the Denver Nuggets had, and you know they don't really give up any present day contributors to get a player like Aaron Gordon. Like that's that's awesome. That's just like a really awesome transaction for them. I'm with you. Um, you mentioned the Portland trade earlier. Norm Powell mm-hmm. goes to the Blazers, uh, and going back to Toronto are Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. Who won that trade? Portland or uh, Toronto? And the answer is always Toronto because they always win every trade. So why did they win the trade? (laughs) Well, I love Norm Powell. I think he's one of the best players that changed teams, uh, or at least the the best season before the trade deadline he was having. You know, one of the best three-point shooters in all of basketball, one of the best three, a pull-up three-point shooters in all of basketball, gets to the rim super fast, too, um, going downhill. And he's going to a team where he doesn't need to be like, you know, a lot of times we see guys who uh, get big paydays or who are really attractive in their specific role. And then a new team brings them on expecting them to be, you know, the a first option when they were a third option on their other team. Like he's still going to be a third option, offensive option in Portland. And, uh, you know, Portland is one of the best uh, above the break three point shooting teams in basketball. He's just been killing it from those areas. I think he'll fit in really well. It's going to be fascinating to see how those three guard lineups look offensively and defensively when you play him, CJ, and Dame together. Uh, I, I can't wait to watch that unfold. And I just think like it's going to be almost impossible to stop this offense uh, throughout a 48-minute game. Like Nurk is coming back. Like, I, I really, I love Portland. I really do. Um, and so when I, I guess, like, looking at it from the Toronto side really quick. Well, let me you, say let me say on Portland's side, the reason why okay. I'm a little bit lower on it than you, I agree, you know, short term for this stretch run, it's a clean fit. It's going to be a supercharge. You're going to have a lot of guys who can create shots, hit shots, hit three-pointers, play off each other. There's a lot of firepower there for sure. My concern is, will Portland be willing to pay up to keep him this summer? Uh, I think we've already started to see some talk that he's going to be getting, you know, potentially offers in the 18 to 20 million range, um, you know, long-term offers. Portland has shown a, a tendency over the years like, kind of to pay the wrong guys like Alan Crabb and then try to get out of it or, you know, potentially to let some guys leave and then now they have a big hole. My concern is they were worried about being able to re-sign Gary Trent Jr. because they were afraid he was going to get too expensive. So they took the short-term upgrade here for the playoff run to give their guys a chance, and then they're potentially going to be okay with allowing Norman Powell to walk this summer because I don't think you want to invest another $20 million in a guard when you've already paying two max contracts to Lillard and C.J. McCollum. So my concern is that you lost the long-term value from Gary Trent Jr., which I do think is fairly significant just for that short-term boost. And if Norman Powell was a star, like a legit star, I would say, okay, that's kind of an understandable decision. If they were kind of a, you know, a, a tier one or tier two contender and they were right there on the brink, I would get it. I'm not sure that they're that kind of team. And so now I worry that we're going to look back in three or four years and be like, wow, they could have had mm-hmm. Gary Trent Jr. Look at all these amazing production he's had for these last couple of years. And they just decided not to pay him. And they didn't pay Norman Powell. I think that's a very realistic, realistic scenario. That's why I like it from Toronto's standpoint. Look, we know they're trying to go younger. I'm sure they're feeling like, hey, it's time to sell high on Norman Powell. He's never been more coveted around the league. 
Let's get ourselves a player in Gary Trent Jr. who'll probably be pretty similar to as good as Powell is for the next three or four years because he's younger and you can expect some ramp up development. Um, he's more aligned timeline wise uh, with OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet and Pascal mm-hmm. Siakam. And if you can't keep Lowry, you know, this summer, then you go forward with another piece who's kind of part of your core. And, and by the way, Trent will probably be cheaper than Powell as well. I like that move very cleanly from Toronto's side. The only down part is they had to take back Rodney Hood's contract for next year, which is a little bit annoying. But I think it makes a lot of sense for Toronto. I don't hate it from Portland's side, but I do hate the very real second guessing that could come from this, which is if we fast forward six months, they didn't make the deep playoff run, Powell is out the door, and Gary Trent Jr. is on his way to blossoming. There's real backfire potential here. Yeah, I think that you get a significant... Um, short-term upgrade here. I think Norm Powell is just a lot... I, I, I understand Gary Trent Jr., his value. He's a really good defender. He's been hitting the three ball ever since the bubble. I get all that. Um, I think Norm Powell is a lot better. So the short-term upgrade there, I think there's there's value to, to making that type of transaction. And then, you know, you talk about him heading... In, Gary Trent Jr. heading into restricted free agency this summer. Like... I, you know, I think he's going to get paid a lot. And so avoiding, you were right to bring up Portland's weariness to pay someone like Gary Trent Jr. a lot of money to stay or to match an offer sheet to stay in Portland when you already have CJ and Dame. I didn't. I don't think that really that makes a lot of sense. Now, maybe um, it doesn't really work out with Norm Powell. And when you play those three at the same time in the playoffs, they find that they can't do that. But I think the risk of having a player who is just more win now than Gary Trent Jr., um, who is four years older than Gary Trent Jr., who's a better three-point shooter, who gets to the rim, who gets to the free throw line a little bit more than Gary Trent Jr., who can make plays better than Gary Trent Jr. can, who has won a championship already um, and can perform in the playoffs and was really good in the bubble. Like... I I think it was really worthwhile for Portland to do this. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how much money uh, Gary Trent Jr. gets, the the clutch represented Gary Trent Jr. gets um, in restricted free agency if he gets any big offer sheets uh, from around the league or if he's uninterested in staying in Toronto. I think it could be really interesting just to see what happens with his situation there. But in terms of Gary Trent Jr. fitting the timeline, and kind of backtracking a little bit, I thought that was really smart by Masai to to um, to seek and identify a player like that who can be um, who can kind of grow with Pascal and Fred and OG and all them. So like, I just think it was a really smart trade for both teams, really. And it'll be it'll be fascinating to see who gets more money. It sounds crazy, but who gets like more a bigger contract this summer? I think it's a legitimate question. No, it is for sure. Um, and, you know, which which player is more likely to re-sign, I think, is, a, is kind of the, the defining aspect of this, uh, this trade as well. A couple minor things to wrap this up. I mean, Toronto, winners or losers for not trading Lowry? I mean, it was such an emotional scene. He had Drake on FaceTime. You know, it seemed like it was his last game. I think he was <laughs> plus 42. Everybody was all prepared for the exit. And now they're just going to welcome him back. Hey, Kyle, good to see you. Glad we did that. Um Kind of felt like they should have moved him. And maybe Masai was asking for too much. 
You know, I wasn't caught off guard by the fact that Toronto did not move Lowry. I was caught off guard by the fact that Philly didn't get more aggressive or that the Lakers, after their name kind of burbled into the conversation, that they didn't get more aggressive. You know, they reportedly were unwilling to part ways with Taylor Horton Tucker for Kyle Lowry. You know, like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I'm sorry. Like, you're trying to win the championship with a very small I mean LeBron could play for another 10 years as an MVP candidate so maybe I should I should not say that but realistically based right. on precedent it's a small window here you have right, so to Michael, go ahead, I mean it was going to be potentially Schroeder KCP and Taylor Horton Tucker that's too much for Kyle Lowry if you don't know you're going to be able to resign him that's way too much I mean just just pay Schroeder this summer KCP was rock solid in last year's playoffs and hope that you can work something out with uh, THT I mean that's Lowry's good, but he's not that good. Um, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I understand that it would take Schroeder, either KCP or Montrez Harrell, um, and Taylor. Like, I just, you know, I think Kyle Lowry is uh, tremendous, and uh, I think he makes that team better. And if you picture uh, a world where the Lakers also sign Andre Drummond as a buyout candidate to replace Trez then you're basically swapping Schroeder and uh, Montrezl Harrell for Andre Drummond and Kyle Lowry. Like, who is not picking the Lakers to win the championship with that roster? Like, I know you are. You're picking the Lakers to win the championship. Um, so, so yeah, I just thought that... But, like, uh, you know, the Lakers, whatever. I, I, I want to kind of talk about the Sixers for two seconds. Um, yeah, so they grab, they grab uh, George Hill from OKC... Sweet. Yeah. Um, basically in a minor trade of draft assets and everything else. That was sort of their backup plan, it sounds like, after the Lowry trade kind of fell apart. Of course, Miami goes and gets Oladipo instead of Lowry. Those teams had been linked to Toronto. So mm-hmm. how are we feeling about Philly's backup plan? Yeah, real quick, Miami, um, before I get to Philly, Miami not having to give up Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero or even Kendrick Nunn or Precious, like no one, they didn't really have to give up anything and they got Victor Oladipo. Like, I just think Pat Riley is just, he's the Don. He's incredible. Now, Houston For- is just so clearly the biggest loser of this season. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really bad. Unbelievable. Do you think maybe they should have paid up and kept Daryl Morey and kept him happy too? That might have been a good idea. Yeah, it turns out you have to spend money to make money uh, in the NBA. Um, Philly, yeah, I don't think George Hill moves the needle at all. I, you know, I could be wrong about this. This guy hasn't played in two months. Uh, he wasn't setting the world on fire in the bubble, which is really the last time we saw him play in games with stakes. Uh, like, if you're Philly, you got to, like, maximize your window here with Embiid like Embiid's career could end any moment like anytime he falls over that could be it that could be the window so if you have an opportunity to get someone like Kyle Lowry who is a true difference maker and like I don't know what assets are like so coveted on their roster that they weren't willing to give up. I I, I, I like a lot of their young players, for no, sure. Like I'm Matisse with you. Tybel, those guys like, get overrated. What, what are we doing? Maxi, Tybal, those guys get overrated by the intelligentsia. Like, there was there was a, probably a deal to be had there. The only tricky part for them was the salary side, right? Because Lowry's making a lot, so you got to put together a bunch of different pieces. But Danny Green, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, maybe that's what it came down to is that they felt like they were trading away a starter plus, you know, a couple of prospects and it just all added up to be a little bit too complicated for them. Um, you know, but I'm with you. I would have been very motivated to try to grab him. He would have been a nice piece to have in matchups against either Kyrie or Drew Holiday for either Miami or Philly. And to me, their backup plans were pretty, pretty underwhelming. All right, to tie this thing off, I don't know if you had any other uh, moves you wanted to discuss. If you do, bring them on. We also had um, Dallas grabbing J.J. Redick. Thumbs up or cool. thumbs down? Whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think that that really matters. I think it's I, – I do. I will say I think it's fascinating that um, heading into this season, one of the reasons I was down on Dallas was that they lost a lot of their shooting and they signed guys like James Johnson and Wes Wundu. And lo and behold, we get to the trade deadline and they trade Wessa Wundu and James Johnson for JJ Redick and um, and Nico Melli. So, like, yeah, shooting's important when you have someone like Luka Doncic on your team. Yeah, you sound like me talking about Milwaukee's offseason. You know, it's like, oh, I hate DJ Augustin. Yes, they traded DJ Augustin. You're in the same boat, but with uh, with the Dallas Mavericks. Any other guys you want to get to here, Michael? I know Washington traded like Mo Wagner and Troy Brown Jr. That wound up getting back Daniel Gafford and Chandler Hutchinson. I guess Wagner got traded on to your Boston Celtics. Yes. What are you expecting from Wagner and Opus? <laughs> um, I've actually watched quite a bit of Washington Wizards basketball for some reason over the past couple of weeks. And I like Mo Wagner's game when he doesn't shoot the wide open threes that defenses are letting him shoot. Like Otherwise, he's pretty solid. He's like a, a really... Um, antagonistic defender and oh yeah he like, found that out the hard way during the bubble when Giannis <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gave, gave him a little bit of his head didn't he yeah exactly so uh I, I you know he's a body I, I really just don't want him shooting threes and then we're we're cool but or taking time from um Robert Williams also not something that I'd be a fan of but all in all, like I don't know, is there are there any other trades? I feel like we've covered no, we pretty hit, much. We hit just everything. about all of them. San Antonio just announced they bought out Aldridge. It's possible he winds up going to Miami, so they could be in a situation where they added Lamarcus Aldridge, Victor Oladipo, uh, you know, Trevor Ariza, Nemanja yeah. Bialica, and like you said, really only parted with Kelly Olynyk from their rotation. That was pretty much all. You know, the the only guy going out. So that's pretty busy, active work from Riley with some real names. We'll see if those guys can put it together for this stretch run. But that's, you know, of all the teams out there to really get aggressive, it was absolutely the Miami Heat. There, there's really no way around that. I guess to just tie this off, Michael, I mean, letter grade for the entire trade deadline, the entire experience. I got to say, my expectations were rock bottom. I mean, you and mm-hmm. I were really trying to speak some of these deals into existence. It actually worked, which was great. Usually it doesn't. If you had to grade the entire trade deadline this year, what would you give it? I think an A-. minus. Whoa! I, I, yeah, Holy I cow! Michael, you're all over the place today. Yeah, no, I, I, I love the activity. Um, there were trades that, like, I honestly, when when Vooch was traded, I think he was, like, the first big name to move. I was like, okay, here we go. And at, like, noon Eastern time, it was, like, a flurry of activity. I, I So I had a lot of fun. Um, Kyle Lowry was probably the biggest name, didn't get moved. Harrison Barnes did not get moved. 
John Collins did not get moved. Yeah. Larry Markinen. No Beal trade out of nowhere, which I don't think yeah. anybody was surprised by. But another guy who had been in rumors for a couple months. Well, I think you're a generous grader. I mean, I could tell you're really excited about Norman Powell. You're really excited about Aaron Gordon. And you're really excited about Nikola Vucevic and Fournier, frankly. It sounds like you just love everybody today. I came down more on like a C plus. I mean, to be oh, honest, wow. yeah. I mean, look, when Vucevic is the biggest name and the only all-star, you know, I do think it's a little bit of a letdown. We didn't necessarily see just like major plays from either the Clippers and I think that you're bigger on the, the Rondo trade than I was, mm-hmm. or the Lakers obviously sitting it out. The Nets, you know, kind of sat it out. They were more quiet than maybe I had hoped. Um, I would have loved to see them trade Spencer Dinwiddie for something <laughs> to kind of boost their, their playoff okay. run here. Yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, this is nitpicking, but I, I also just think that, like, look, I mean, did a top 25 guy really move? I'm not sure Vucevic is in that in that class. So that's probably why I'm being a little bit lower on it than you are. But I love the enthusiasm, Michael. It's good. First of all, I would say that Vooch is the third best center in the NBA. So I do think he's a top 25 player. I also think, you know, thinking a little bit more in depth about it, you know, what's really fascinating about the trade deadline is do do any title contenders get better and get closer to actually making the finals and winning the championship. And the one team that really sticks out to me is the Miami Heat. I think they made a, like a major step forward. It's been a really rough season for them, um, up and down. Uh, haven't really been able to, to, to find solid ground. But the pieces that they added are, I mean, if Victor Oladipo is 100% healthy, um, and health doesn't seem to have been the problem in Houston so much. And he looked really good in Indiana before. This is the place he wanted to be for years. Uh, like, if he fits in, I mean, the Miami Heat are serious. Like, that is a serious basketball team. Trevor Ariza looks good. Uh, Bielisa is a legitimate stretch for. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really impressed by, by what Miami did. Yeah, Miami for sure, number one in terms of additions. I would say Denver right there in that mix as well. This picture you're painting of, you know, Victor Oladipo potentially being another player tanking candidate, just like James Harden, right? Where he's like not trying his hardest so that they'll get moved to where he wants to go and then magically turns his career around once he gets there. If that happens, holy cow, will the Rockets look even worse? And it's very, very possible. (laughs) So. You know, when I'm looking at the losers, I I mean, did you see any other huge losers on that side of it other than Houston? Deals that you wouldn't have done or things that you would kind of second guess? I mean, Orlando, some people would say, well, they should have gotten more picks for trading all those guys. I thought they got decent nah. value across the yeah. board. I would even put them in the winners category just for their timing and, and finally being willing to rip off the Band-Aid. I would kind of have Clippers as modest losers because I expected more from them. Um, anybody else you put in that category? Yeah, I mean, a team like the Clippers, they'll be a buyout candidate for sure. We'll see what happens there. Um, I mean, I maybe, mean the King, maybe the Sixers for not getting the Lowry deal done? I, I think the Sixers will regret the trade deadline. And frankly, like, if you want to go all the way back to not trading for James Harden, I think they will regret that as well. They'll probably say it wasn't their fault, but um, 
not getting him either way is, you know, he's now on this absolute juggernaut in Brooklyn. Yeah, that you gotta that, go that's through. just one more L for the Rockets, though. Like, I can't even really blame the Sixers for that because they were probably all caught up in the Daryl Morey emotions, you know, and uh, probably should have just taken Ben Simmons. <laughs> also, real quick, two losers. I know this is a really long pod we're doing. Thank you for everyone who's still listening, but the Sacramento Kings not moving Harrison Barnes and quote unquote trying to make the playoffs. Like what are we even doing here? That it just like stop Sacramento. Just please, Jesus. Like build around De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton and kinda um uh get some assets there. I think that was maybe a missed opportunity. And then I don't know if they're a winner or a loser, but the Golden State Warriors not really doing anything was interesting. I, it didn't surprise me, but I, I thought potentially Kelly Oubre might be on the move. Maybe they would be aggressive in trying to add something there. Uh, clearly, they're not too invested in this season, um, but which is kind of a bummer. But uh, but but it would have been fun to see the Warriors kind of get involved a little bit. Yeah, I wonder if that sticker shock from their luxury tax bill after taking on Ubre kind of scared them straight, and they were like, huh, you know, maybe we shouldn't go out there and be super <laughs> reckless if we've got a team that's, you know, barely above 500 and, you know, Steph's out, and now we've got to, you know, weigh and prioritize James Wiseman's development down the stretch, and, you know, we're not going to win a playoff series. I wonder if that changed ownership's willingness to get super aggressive. Hopefully it did, because I just didn't really see where they were coming from before the season. All right, Michael, good stuff. They can check out, I'm sure, all your analysis and a whole bunch of other uh, great writers' analysis over there at SportsIllustratedSI.com. I've been breaking down all the different moves and, and the implications uh, at the WashingtonPost.com slash sports. I'll have my winners and losers column up on Friday morning. Please give that a look, everyone, if you get the chance. Michael, they can follow you on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golver on Twitter at Ben Golver. Guys, check out our page on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you get there, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael, we will be back with our normal uh, scheduled programming on Monday morning. So we will talk then. Until then, have a great weekend. Talk soon, man. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.